Hey everybody, this is David Garbett, the Executive Director of O2 Utah, bringing you a, another edition of O2 and You. I'm very excited about our program today. We have Robert Birch running for the Utah House of Representatives in the central part of the Salt Lake Valley. While I wait for Robert to join. If uh, you're not in Salt Lake City, you might not know that yesterday was a super crazy day here in Salt Lake. We went from some of the warmest temperatures I've ever seen in September, really kind of mid-summer highs, to pretty cold weather, kind of like mid-fall weather, almost within a day, and had crazy windstorms, hurricane force winds, um, so I, I don't know if you can hear this in the background, but the, I've got a few chain, different chainsaws running here in the neighborhood as uh, people try and clean up some of the downed trees. So it's, it is a mess outside. Uh, big parts of Salt Lake City lost power, still are without power even today. Um, All right. Well... Robert, great to have you on O2 and You. I'm so excited to have everybody, Robert Birch, here with me again as we've introduced this. This is another episode of O2 and You, a discussion about elections, campaigning, environmental politics here in the state of Utah. And I'm super excited because this is, Robert, you are our very first real live candidate on O2 and You. So... I know you're a historian, a man who loves history. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll put this in the, hopefully you'll, this will be a, you know, a key point in the history books, our first okay. candidate guest. But thank you for joining me. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This, this is fun. So uh, a few different things just to give people an idea. What we'd love to run through is... Uh, we want to hear a little bit about your story, and I know it's hard to pack all of this stuff into um, a short discussion, but um, a little bit about your story, what got you to want to run, what are key issues for you, and then at the end, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, environmental policy specifically, but uh, mm -hmm. why don't we kick it off? Why tell us about why you made the decision to run for the Utah House of Representatives? Oh, well, I, I actually ran the first time in 2018. Uh, it wasn't something I was looking to do. It's, it's one of those things that uh, really surprises me that I'm even doing a talk. <laughs> so this is a, just a completely new experience for me in 2018. I had a friend who was talking to a friend down at the West Valley City Council, and uh, uh, he was asking for suggestions of people who might, you know, be a good candidate to run for office. And so I started getting all of these friend requests on Facebook from people I didn't know, never heard of, never knew anything about politics. And then one day, my phone rang, and it was David Hollins. <laughs> and, and I thought about Sandra Holland. I said, okay. 
So now I have all of these people contacting me, and now all of a sudden David is calling me out of the blue. So I'm I'm thinking, okay, <laughs> I have I, I have been uh, kind of brought into this thing <laughs> somewhat unwillingly, but I did it because I know it's something important. It's it's one of those things where you think you know a lot about until you're actually doing it, and then you find out you know absolutely nothing. <laughs> Uh, I can yeah, these are <laughs> I can sympathize, yeah. empathize with that, both Robert. I, I, that was the same line I told people. I've worked on campaigns, I've watched campaigns, and oh, I was the best campaigner until I actually did it, and then I realized I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 a lot of work and a lot of learning. Yet you have to have a pretty good learning curve, I think, and a pretty big patience curve you know you have to be very patient as you kind of fumble through these things and i and i think most of my real understanding as far as locally here politics in utah and in west valley has just been out knocking doors and talking to voters uh because like i said you think you know what's going on until you actually start talking to people and find out what their real concerns are and overnight your idea of what needs to be done just literally changes because after you talk to 50 people, 100 people on their front doorstep, it becomes obvious that some things that you think are important are not necessarily the most important thing. And so you have to make some adjustments and uh, figure out how to best get the things done that they need as well as the things that you, on a moral level and a personal level, feel like needs to be done as well. And how you get those two things to balance. Let's talk about that a little bit. What do you, coming into this before you started running, uh, what, what was most important to you? What were those issues that you thought about? You know, if I can contribute on anything here, these are the key things to me. And then what did you think would be most important that changed as you talked to voters in your district? Well, I've always thought schools were important and especially uh, fair treatment and equal treatment of minority children in school. Uh, and I think that's kind of on a, a macro level, a big level, you know, and that's more of a national thinking about how we affect the children in our schools. But when you're dealing with it locally, you find out there's a whole host of other things involved on how you get kids educated. And as I knocked on doors, the conversation was not so much about education in and of itself, but more about teachers hmm. and how teachers relate to the administrative staffs and how decisions are being made on school boards and education associations and how things are actually being done without the input of teachers, without the input of the people who deal with our children on a daily basis. So that was one of the big things that I, I found was different. It's just not a matter of having money for school because we built these huge schools in our communities. But when you talk to the teachers, many of the teachers feel like the buildings that they build are not suited for what they need to do with the kids. So uh, the buildings were being built without their input. And so now you have teachers having to make adjustments because the new facility they receive is not a facility they feel like they can function in. Uh, 
uh, at 100% proficiency and be able to get the job done well. So there was a lot of disconnect there. I think some of the other things, I, I worked uh, uh, for a health insurance agency uh, when I first moved to Utah and was part of the team that helped bring in the Affordable Care Act and to, to see how nationwide insurance was important, but how it's really disconnected from uh, what people think, believe, and do on a daily basis. So those kind of things. It's, it's, everything that you think is probably not true. <laughs> to be honest. Everything that you think about what's going on is probably not true. It, it, it takes a lot of work to get the full idea. Of the so those are the biggest things. I um, as well as public transportation here in West Valley. Hey, Robert, I'm, I'm just having a hard time hearing you. Can I have you move a little closer to the mic? Okay. Just so we can pick you up. Okay, how about that? That's better. Great. Is that better? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you were saying that's, that's interesting to hear about the teachers. Uh, you know, I know another issue that's very important for you is that people in your district uh, – be able to earn wages that can support a family. Um, mm -hmm. I think as I've heard you talk about it, you can, you can string together a lot of low wage jobs, uh, but not, not the best way to, to help provide for stability, strong families, strong communities. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh that's something I've experienced on a personal level. Uh, I can remember working three jobs, uh, working at the grocery store part-time, uh, working downtown full-time, and stringing together whatever I can in between, and not having those three jobs make enough income to take care of the rent that I had to pay and to take care of my wife and children. So we have to think more about than what people think of as a living wage. I mean, I could live on $7 an hour on three different jobs, but it doesn't necessarily sustain a family very well. And I know that there's a push, big push right now to, to push $15. But in reality for me, even with the $15 an hour, that wasn't enough. So we have to look at how to bring wages that are family sustaining wages. Can I, take care of my wife and my wife not have to work full-time or part-time and take care of my children. And those are the issues we have to address. We've spent so much time here, especially dealing with labor unions and, and things of that nature on uh, decreasing the effect of, uh, 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 of labor in, in increasing the wages of our families. Out here in West Valley, our uh, mean income is about 60000 that is a full 11,000 less than the, the state median. And the that's for the median household income median income. Right. Mm -hmm. The state median is 71,000. Here in West Valley, the family median income is about 60, which is just a little bit um, below what it is in New York State. Many people think of uh, New York State as having all of this money, but average median income in, West, in, in Utah, it's higher than the state of New York. So I know when we look at the numbers on, that they spend on education and we spend on education, we can do better 
with education and with jobs and with other things. We can come up with a way to make incomes better so that uh, families can fix a lot of things with income. They can fix health disparities. They can fix food disparities, housing disparities. All of these things can be fixed with income. And so until we can figure out how to make income a, a sort of thing that it benefits everyone, you know, uh, instead of just a few. 45% of the households in West Valley City uh, have uh, the mom and dad working. Mm -hmm. And they're still below the state median mm -hmm. income. So that tells me that there's some income disparities that we have to fix in order to be able to lift up the west side of this community. So we'll gotcha. Yeah, it's tough. So families are often feeling like they're they're at their their breaking point, working as hard as they can just to see themselves either holding position or slipping slowly downhill. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and that affects uh, community participation as well. So if you're spending, you and your wife are spending most of your time working and take care of the, taking care of the home, then how do you take care of what should be your civic responsibilities in your community? You don't have time for it. Right. Uh, so, uh, and that's one of the reasons we struggle here over in West Valley too. We have people who are concerned with the community, but they don't have the income or the time to say, I can stop working. What do you, that's, that's really interesting, Robert, because we know that you've connected these dots, the state policy and policy that as a legislator, you could change, could have drastic mm -hmm. effects on their, uh, their life, their quality of life. Um, right. But sometimes elections can seem like something, you know, that's a great hobby for those that have time as opposed to this is something I have to do to ensure that next month, next year, when my kids grow up, they have a good quality of life, a better quality of life. Have you found anything that you find helps to connect that message with residents who might not be as apt to participate in elections? Um, that's a hard question because many of the people who need uh, the help the most are the ones that's too focused to, to stop and listen to what you're saying because they're just like you explained. They're trying to figure out how to make this weekend meet to make this month meet. Yeah. You know, uh, or am I going to fall short? So a lot of times when you're talking to people who are in those type of situations, uh, it's difficult to get them to understand that they can participate and take part. But I think for me, the biggest part has been to say, look, it doesn't take as much time as you might imagine that it would take. In West Valley, and these things can help affect the decisions that's going on in the city. Uh, things like insu uh, licensing, insurance, uh, buildings and housing, things of that nature that they use citizens to help make the decision on a voluntary basis. And so even with that a minimum amount of time, you can do something to help the, make the community better and in effect make your lifestyle and your home better. Uh, so that is part of it. And one of the big focuses I like to talk to people about here in West Valley is that we need more small family businesses. And how do we do that? How do we bring uh, uh, 
universities and other agencies here can help build the small business in this community. Um, because that's one thing people in West Valley are very interested in doing is having their own business. So it's a matter of how do we connect them with the right people to help them to put that together so that you know they can make things better for them lifelong as well as for their families. Robert, I want to run through a few things here that, and not to, mm -hmm. to bore people, but I think some of the really uh, details I'd love to talk about on campaigns or think about uh, are things mm -hmm. behind the scenes that people might not see. And one okay. thing I learned on my campaign is that, uh, you know, a candidate, this is the fun stuff, doing interviews, getting out and talking with voters, but that doesn't happen without a lot of work behind the scenes that includes right. raising money, right? doing, yeah, just a lot of work to get volunteers involved, do outreach to yep. community. And I have to commend you. Uh, I remember towards the, it was either the end of last year or beginning of this year, I got random call on my phone wondering who this is from and it was a message from you and you were <laughs> you're dialing for dollars and i mean this is i know most yeah. people are you know running from you trying to hide but to me that was a compliment i thought who is this yeah i'm impressed you know reaching out to me um this early on to raise money because uh, i know that that's what it takes as much as you know we wish it weren't so you can't get people to vote for Robert Birch if they don't know who you are. And that means you either need exactly. to knock on their door or you need to get a mailer to them. You need to get an ad to them. You need to help them know that you're out there and it takes a lot of this work and you did it. Uh, and I, you know, hats off to you. Um, Cause I know that is a long slog and this is you doing your, you know, your campaigning on top of having a job and it is not, it's not easy. Exactly. Exactly. There's a lot that goes into it. And I think 2018 really taught us some big lessons. And it teaches you lessons that you can only learn by just jumping over in there, you know. Because uh, we made a lot of mistakes in 2018. Well, and, uh, welcome to the club, right? Huh? Welcome to the so club what? of candidates just making tons of mistakes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. By the time you figure out what you've done wrong, the election season is over. You know, I, exactly. I tell people the last week of the election, I kind of felt like I largely had it figured it out. But too exactly. late, too late at that point. Exactly. It's too late. And so but it benefits you the second time in that, you know, that you need to put together a better team. And we've done that. We've been fortunate to put together a great campaign staff uh, with uh, a campaign manager who has vision and thought well beyond what I even experienced in 2018. So we've done real well with that. And we've actually done excellently for uh, dialing for dollars, you know, getting to know, Dave, this is Robert. I know you don't know me. <laughs> you just have to embrace it, right? Yeah. You did great. You did great. <laughs> and I think that's the hardest thing for most people is really picking up that phone. But once you pick up the phone and you start to see results and you're able to do what you need to do to be able to communicate because that is the key issue for us in West Valley City because our margin of error is is really not that great. No. Uh, we've been surveyed as uh, being actually a district that is on the plus side for Democrats. That just means that we should be able to win this. It might be by a narrow margin, but what it means is that if we get the money, 
and we get the volunteers and we get the effort on knocking doors and making phone calls, we can win. We can win. And, and it's not going to take really that many votes because uh, I, I uh, believe, I, what was it, 4,300 and some odd votes last year, uh, 2018, right? If I can score the difference between me and my opponent just by 51% of the difference, I automatically win. So it is that close for us. Yeah. Uh, just 2% difference between us and the opponent. And 2% to make a difference on election day uh, to be able to say, I can get another 700 or 800 votes and win. That's a big deal. So we do need the help. We do need the money. We do need the, the time, anything that people can give to make sure that we get done what we need to get, get done. It's doable. Yeah. And, uh, for this particular district, it should have probably been done a long time ago. You know, so, it probably should have been done, you know, four or six years ago. Here's a fun, uh, fun, quick question for you. I'd have to ask at least one ethereal question like this. A historian. Okay. So yes. you know that, you know, oftentimes history is nuanced. It's messy. It's, mm -hmm. it's surprising. It is inspiring. Right. It's also really... Uh, can be depressing. Um, yeah. I think politics is similar, but I, I find it, especially when you're campaigning, nuance is a hard thing. How do you yeah. deal with that? I mean, people want to hear in five seconds, you know, why should I vote for you? <laughs> How do you get into all these things? How do you discuss some of these policies that are really difficult in a way that people will listen to literally in 15 seconds when they're like, you know, I need to take care of my yeah. family. I don't have time. Exactly. And I think probably for me, the best thing is to be able to talk to them on their doorstep, where you can probably fit in more than 15 seconds. Because when you're on Facebook, they click on you and they click off, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But when you're at the door, you can get maybe another 30 or 60 seconds in there where you can actually have a, a more nuanced conversation and actually be able to help them in a few words, see it differently from the, what they have thought before. Because one of the biggest things I found is that if you can find the words that people can understand to explain your position and have it done in, in a clear and simplified manner, they understand, they get it. I think most of them problem is that they really never actually had anybody knock on their door and say, I'm running for this and here's why. Most I, I guarantee you probably 95% of everyone I talked to said no one has ever come to their door. Mm -hmm. and, and so we are trying to do that more so that we do get more than that, just that 15 second sound bite. Gotcha. So we can get a chance to talk a little bit more. We have to be at the door. Yeah. And it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. Yes. That, it is yeah. those face-to-face -face conversations are the lifebloods of or the lifeblood of campaigns, especially a campaign like yours, where you've got to um, help people know that you're out there and you're running against an incumbent that people know. Yeah. Speaking of which, Robert, I, I want to talk yeah. quickly because we just have a few minutes left, but, um, you know, these, these races, this, this final two months of lead up until the election, um, mm -hmm. there are so many important issues that we have throughout the state. Sometimes I feel like I'm a hammer that sees everything as a nail, but 
name an issue <laughs> that people care about. And I feel like the answer is elections. The answer is volunteer for Robert Birch. The answer is phone bank for Robert Birch. The answer is donate yeah. to Robert Birch. And, you know, let me mm -hmm. connect it to specifically some bigger issues on the environmental front. So, you know, I used to work in public lands, and uh, I remember when Bears Ears National Monument was designated in Utah. What an exciting day that was. What an incredible, groundbreaking mm -hmm. thing it was to have a national monument that um, was protected under an act that had been designed to protect specifically relics of the Native American experience. Mm -hmm. part of the Native American experience in this country. And never had there been such an example of Native American community coming forward and saying, here's something that we want preserved and a president acting on it. And then to have President Trump take that away at the urging of Utah politicians was disheartening. Your opponent who has that seat was one of the legislators who said that we should rescind that monument. So if you want to see Bears Ears come back, make calls for Robert Birch, donate to Robert Birch, yeah. show up for him. You know, another thing, air quality, we have terrible air quality here on the Wasatch Front. Just last session, the legislature, instead of solving air quality problems, offered a subsidy to two of our worst refineries in this state, basically saying, what? you know, you haven't converted to cleaner fuel. Great. We'll give you a subsidy. Um, I mean, we have it so backwards. And again, your opponent voted to subsidize those refineries. And until we, we show these politicians that there is, uh, there's a penalty for that, things aren't going to change. And the way you show a penalty is campaigning and elections. So yeah. I really appreciate you stepping up. Maybe give me, I, I want to give you a minute to talk about, um, I know we had mentioned beforehand that the Inland Port and public mm -hmm. transit, public transportation are really important issues for you that you know, connect there on the environmental front. You want to talk about those two issues for a minute? Yeah, I, and, and I appreciate that because when we talk about something like <clears throat> bear's ears, uh, we're, we're again talking about a big picture idea, but we have that same type of effect right here in West Valley City. And the main thing with bears is, is that we have to stop making promises and then breaking those promises. That's my biggest problem with bears ears. Why would we tell a people that we believe in property and the sanctity of your right to have that property, give them that property and then come back and default on our work. So we just absolutely, as far as bear ears, have to stop doing it. We have to start being honest, forthright and true and stick to our words. And we haven't been doing it. As far as locally, we have those same type of effects that happen here in West Valley City. For instance, Inland Park, Inland Port. The Inland Port requires new road construction, new building construction, all of these things that go through West Valley out to the airport, which increases truck traffic, plane traffic, car traffic, uh, 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 big truck traffic. All of those things are going to con contribute to pollution. At the same time, we're building a road right along migration routes for deer and other animals, for birds. So we might look at bear's ears and say, this is a big idea, but right here in West Valley City, we're destroying the air for animals and birds, and we're destroying their migratory routes. 
So that's a big thing that probably most people wouldn't think about when they think about the inland port and that highway going down. The other part of the inland port is that there is no part in the decision-making that makes those large corporations accountable for the uh, pollution that they create. We're going to greatly increase the truck traffic, the train traffic, the plane traffic, the car traffic. And after we've done all of that and created that pollution, who gets to pay for it? And no one has decided who gets to pay for it. But just like with Rio Tinto, just uh, uh, just above on the hill, just above West Valley City, when when Rio closes that down, the taxpayers will be the one to end up with super fund to go up there and clean that place. We don't need that to happen at the end of port. Those people who are making millions off of that and billions off of that need to be held accountable and need to be has to contribute to the cleanup fund. It's going to take clean up the mess that they create from that increased traffic and that construction and all the other things that come with it. Whether it's destruction of animal paths or bird paths, they should be accountable for all of that. They want to make money from it, so they need to be forced to contribute <coughs> to whatever needs to do to correct that. <clears throat> and uh, for public transportation, I am very, very big on the UTA being better. Most people don't look at UTA as a commuter system, but that is what it is. It is a commuter system meant to move people from Provo and Ogden into Salt Lake City for work. But just on the opposite side of Valley, West Valley City sits with no real plan on how to get workers on the other side of the valley effectively. And we already know that this side of the valley income is less and they're making that money on the east side, but we make it difficult for them to be able to get back and forth to work on off-peak hours in, 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 in the timely fashion that they need to be able to get to their jobs and get home and do the things that they need. And we force people into uh, poor standard, low standard cars that only contribute to the, uh, the pollution. So we should be using public transportation to one, to limit people on the roads so that we have better, better air quality. And we should not also be forcing people into poorly, poor operating vehicles that forces them to get a vehicle to be able to get to work to take care of their family on those off-peak hours. And, and UTA has done nothing to address any of those things. Okay. Robert, I, uh, our time has, has come to an end here. I really appreciate you chatting with us and I appreciate that you're out there, you're running, you're putting in that time and effort. And uh, I, I know how much work it takes if people want to get involved, if people want to help, what should they do? You can just click birchforutah.com and sign up, right? Uh, we have a very easy connection there. Uh, the first page is a sign-up page. You just require a couple of, a little bit of information, your name, your email, your telephone number, and we'll find a way to, to help you get involved if you're interested in getting involved. So you can find us on Facebook. Message us, uh, message us on Facebook. Okay, awesome. So go to Birch for Utah, look up Robert on, on Facebook, get involved with him, donate. Uh, he needs it all. Uh, and also we will be, O2Utah, we will be doing uh, some uh, virtual phone bank with you uh, down the road as well. So um, keep your mm -hmm. eyes peeled for that people. But Robert, thank you very much. I really appreciate the effort, man. You guys hang in there. Take yeah, care. you too. Thank you.